the Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 682 for July 7th, 2019. Mobile Chinese spyware, FaceTime attention correction, and rumors of a Dish Network spinoff in the new T-Mobile merger. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Kappas. Brought to you each week by the Cell Phone Junkie podcast application, available now for Android and iOS for $1.99. Well, before we get into the news this week, I am back from a week on the road and a few anecdotes about my experience from this year in my travels. So uh, a quick piece of kind of history of, of what I've done here. So over the years, I've switched from carrier to carrier. And this at this point in time, I'm with T-Mobile and I've got five lines with them. I've got two phones and an in-car Wi-Fi hotspot, an iPad, and then of course, an Apple Watch as well. Three are unlimited, two have limited plans with six gigs of data on them. So uh, a couple of notes with this. Uh, when I use the Apple Watch on a regular day-to-day basis, I'm generally using this thing just for uh, as tethered to my phone over Bluetooth. I rarely use the LTE. For, for many months, I've, I've gone without using a single uh, byte of data. Uh, and uh, one thing I will say is while it's a luxury to have, it is a fantastic one to have when you're traveling and you're doing things like going to a pool or going to the beach or going to do something where you don't want to take your phone with you. And so there were multiple times over this past week where the phone stayed in the safe in the room and I went to the pool or when we drove out to the beach, the phone stayed locked up in the glove compartment of the car and it was just the watch going with me to the beach. I didn't have to worry about any sort of, uh, you know, sand, uh, you know, or, or things getting in the phone or it being overheated from sitting in the sun or anything like that. And in the, you know, for the most part, I'm trying to spend time with my family and just enjoy that experience. And, uh, you know, in the meantime, if a phone call came in, which a couple did, or if a text message came in, which a couple did, I still got them, but I wasn't really dealing with email during the day anyway. So it was no big deal. And so it was a really nice thing to have. It kind of showed me that there is a purpose for having LTE on the watch. Uh, although it's a very limited thing to have, but it was certainly very nice and it did get used uh, multiple times this past week. Right. And that's really, um, you know, kind of an ideal circumstance for using that. Of course, for me, I only have the the Wi-Fi watch, but I also kind of use it in a similar fashion, because if you're in an area that has Wi-Fi coverage in 2.4, you can connect your watch to that and still basically act like you're, uh, you know, you, you act like you don't have the phone nearby, but still get uh, calls and uh, messages from it. So it is, it, it does make it um, you know, very handy to have if, as long as you've got uh, Wi-Fi coverage. Which, for the most part, I, I'm in, you know, 90% of my life, uh, I'm in Wi-Fi coverage. So it, it generally would work just fine, probably even 95% of my life. And so it, it's one of those things where this was, it, again, it was just, it was a very luxurious thing to have and a very nice thing to have, but it was something that I, I never really thought about because I don't, really ever have the watch on LTE, but I did many times this week. Uh, next up, I mentioned last week that the uh, SyncUp Drive uh, as an in-car hotspot uh, was a very nice thing to have. And, and I'll mention it again this week. It's fantastic when you've got multiple uh, Wi-Fi only devices uh, in a vehicle. And uh, we used it extensively again um, on uh, the drives uh, that we did as we were doing this. We, we went on a multi-city road trip through the southern part 
uh, of the eastern United States. And uh, it was really nice to have for the kids, especially if as we got into like hours, you know, four through ten of our drives. And, and it was like, all right, we we've had enough games. We've had enough reading and stuff like here's an iPad and uh, just, you know, enjoy yourselves for a little bit. So mom and dad can have a little bit of time to talk to, you know, to themselves and, and you guys do your thing. Uh, and it works really well uh, in most areas. Obviously, T-Mobile has uh, enhanced their coverage and it's it, they, they've done a really good job. Of, of, of making it work in the places that matter. And so especially on the I-95 corridor, uh, it works pretty much flawlessly. And so that was a really nice thing to have and, and use that extensively. I also uh, ended up, once I got back from the trip, uh, the sync up uh, logs all of your, your miles and your efficiency and all of that. Uh, it makes it very easy to export. And so I exported all of the drives that we did and uh, did some quick analytics so that I could understand just how many miles we had driven over how many days, how many trips, how many minutes we had driven, stuff like that. And it was really interesting to uh, to look back at that and see just what we had done uh, over the past week and a half. Now, on the, the flip side of having an in-car hotspot, tethering uh, your non-LTE devices to your phone, of course, works just fine. And that's what we ended up doing while we were in the hotel rooms along the trip. And uh, in the past, uh, I've taken things uh, like, uh, like cradle point devices or uh, the uh, the pucks, uh, you know, the 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 mobile hotspots that come with devices. And uh, I don't have any of those, or I don't have any of that that I care to use at this point. And so we just ended up tethering our devices. And of course, it works well. Uh, though one thing that I did find is that on the limited plans that I have, so two of the plans that I have are just the six gigs of data, the one that's in the iPad and the one that's on the, the sync up drive and the in-car device, uh, just the six gigs. And so that really does mean that amount. Once you get to that amount, the device speed slows really to a crawl and it makes it virtually unusable. And so as an example, I was using the iPad as the primary device to tether to. So when we were in hotels and we were trying to tether either our computers or uh, our, our kids' iPads that are just uh, Wi-Fi only, uh, went through that six gigs pretty quickly. And so uh, fortunately, I was at the end of my cycle and uh, I had run out of that data. And it was not only on uh, the tethering, but also the device itself. Uh, it, it stops basically working at speeds above 128 or whatever it is, kilobits per second. And it's very difficult to use, uh, very painful. And so I ended up tethering the iPad to the phone for the, uh, a day until I made it to my my new cycle where I had my refresh data. So uh, that was something that was interesting. I never hit the amount of data on my, uh, on my iPad plan in the past. Uh, and finally, uh, unlimited plans, uh, frankly, are great. Uh, we used an average of three gigs per day between our devices on this trip. We had very little uh, Wi-Fi coverage uh, in the hotels. We didn't use Wi-Fi. Yes, we could have, but I don't enjoy tying into public Wi-Fi unless I absolutely have to. Uh, and it was really great to have that flexibility of unlimited data uh, on these on these mobile devices. Um, you know, even if tethering isn't unlimited, it's still nice to have and not to have to think about uh, what you're doing with your device and you just kind of use it and that works out really well. So um, a, obviously this is nothing really new here, but it was just interesting experiences from a, a trip that I don't generally do. I don't take road trips very often. And so I had uh, really f a lot of kind of reliance on uh, LTE and that mobile data as uh, keeping me connected. And uh, it's, again, it's been a, a week and a half since I've been gone going back into work tomorrow. I feel very much up to speed and connected. And it all, of course, works out because of all of these devices that we have.
Let's move on to the news. First up, Chinese tourists need to pay special attention when traveling this summer. Foreigners visiting certain areas of China and having their smartphones searched are having their smartphones searched at the border. Now, with Android phones, authorities will install potentially a piece of software uh, that's considered spyware on your device that has access to a calendar, phone contacts, call logs, and even text messages, as well as the apps that you use and the usernames in some of those applications. Now, of course, iOS has protections that mean that an iPhone application wouldn't give them the same type of access. So instead, they take a different approach. Uh, uh, Site Vice is reporting that border officials appear to be using equipment to download data from these iPhones. And a reporter saying that they saw machines that appeared to be searching phones at the border. Now, it's most likely that these are devices similar to the Celebrite Universal Forensic Extraction devices and that they use uh, they allow most data to be captured from an iPhone. Now, these intrusive surveillance uh, techniques apply to foreign visitors to the Xinjiang region. Foreigners crossing certain parts of the Chinese border into that region where authorities are conducting a massive campaign of surveillance and oppression against the local Muslim population are being forced to have this piece of software installed on their phones that gives them uh, the government access to all of their text messages as well as other pieces of data. And uh, in collaboration uh, with a number of different media sites, including the New York Times and the German public broadcaster NDR, has found that the Android malware, which is installed by was installed by a border guard when they physically seized the phone also scans the tourist or traveler's device for a specific set of files including multiple expert analyses of software uh, now the file and authorities uh, files authorities are looking for include Islamic extremist content but also innocuous Islamic material academic sets of files uh, and other books of Islam that are uh, that apparently, are very specific to the things that they're trying to oppress. Now, one installed on an Android device, uh, one is installed, that is, by sideloading the installation and requesting certain permissions rather than downloading it from the Google Play Store. It then collects the phone's calendar entries, phone contacts, call logs, text messages, and uploads them to a server. And the malware then scans the phone to see whether these applica- see which applications are installed and extracts the subject's usernames for those applications. Yeah, so since we've you know, it's kind of seen this here in the U.S. where the border agents, you know, re- you know, demand the password for your phone and they go through and, you know, do whatever they do with it, extracting data once they have it unlocked. You know, this kind of uh, thing here is going to just get worse and worse, I think, as countries that are trying to keep, you know, things they don't like out of their country and people they don't like. I think this is just kind of the the tip of the iceberg here. And, you know, pretty much, uh, you know, the advice of, you know, don't bring a a smartphone with you at all. And if you do, it needs to be blank or, uh, you know, ship it ahead, mail it to yourself or just bring a, a, a flip phone so you can just stay in phone contact is about the only thing you can do now to really keep some of your data safe. It's frustrating if you're a, if, if you're just kind of the general consumer and you're really not thinking about this kind of thing. And all of a sudden your phone gets seized and, and, and you don't, you're, you don't realize that what is actually happening. Um, you know, and, and most of us, generally don't have things on our devices that we care about but certainly there are certain privacy uh you know breaches that make you feel uncomfortable and so it's 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 concerning and it's not something that makes you uh makes you want to go to some of these areas right you don't want to have border agents or the the contractors that are running the border agencies or and or the the it support that that all these 
uh, agencies use, which are all contracted out to have access to every single piece of data on your phone, including all of your pictures, your text messages. Oh, that the, which banks you use and, you know, maybe notes you have with passwords in them. And account. so it kind of keeps going on. But, uh, you know, on the flip side, it, I, I know, you know, with these border checkpoints, a lot of times they ask you for your social media account passwords and everything like that. And what if you tell them I don't have social media? Will they even believe you these days? And uh, you know, I don't even know how that'll work. I mean, will they just deny you access if you don't tell them uh, that you, if you don't even have social media? Because y you must not be normal then, and you must be lying if you uh, don't have that. Yeah, it, it is very frustrating for sure. And, uh, you know, this is, uh, you know, obviously a very, um, you know, egregious breach of security for an individual, uh, you know, that may be going into one of these areas. But at the same time, what choice do you have? Uh, you know, they're the ones that are holding, uh, you know, you... Uh, to whether or not you're going to be able to get into this country or not, so uh, you got to you got to work through it and, and make sure that it happens. But uh, to your point, Joey, very uh, you know astutely mentioning that if you're interested in going to one of these areas where you've got government oppression, that it would make sense to bring a device that is not a smart device that could be used still for communication, but doesn't have specific pieces of data on it that are going to get you, uh, you know, that could be problematic if it were to be captured by one of these agencies. Well, moving on, although T-Mobile and Sprint have received the green light from the FCC about their merger, the carriers have yet to get the U.S. Department of Justice's blessing. Now, T-Mobile is reportedly in talks with Dish Network that could make it a new wireless provider and alleviate the DOJ's concerns about a T-Mobile Sprint merger being anti-competitive for the market. As shared by CNBC, sources close to the matter, T-Mobile's parent company, Deutsche Telekom, is in the midst of working at a deal with both Dish and the DOJ that would make it the former illegitimate wireless competitor in the U.S. Uh, according to the article, the German telecommunications company that will control a combined T-Mobile and Sprint is in talks with both Dish Network and the DOJ on the parameters of a divestiture of Spectrum holding a hosting agreement that will prop up Dish as a new U.S. wireless competitor. Deutsche Telekom, Dish, and the DOJ are close to an agreement, and the deal could be finalized by the next week, according to people familiar with the matter. Now, the DOJ reportedly has some specific requirements for the Dish Network deal to go beyond what Deutsche Telekom was hoping for. The DOJ wants Deutsche Telekom to give Dish unlimited access to its network, said the people, who asked not to be named because, of, the, of, course, of course, the discussions are being private. T-Mobile has pushed back, arguing Dish should only be given access to 12.5% of the network's capacity. The deal could include T-Mobile and Sprint sharing its network with Dish for up to seven years, at which Dish would need to switch to operating its own network. Other aspects of the deal between Deutsche Telekom and Dish are said to include the latter requiring uh, acquiring Boost Mobile and additional wireless spectrum, as well as signing a revenue-sharing agreement. The deal with DISH could be finalized by this next week, as we mentioned, but uh, will need to be approved by the California Public Utilities Commission in addition to the DOJ. And even if T-Mobile and Sprint can make it over the DOJ hurdle with the DISH deal, there are still 14 state attorneys general suing to block the merger. So, of course, you know, uh, AT&T... Uh, and DirecTV, of course, are the same company. So essentially, you know, DirecTV has their own cellular company now. And you can, of course, bundle the bills and do all that same stuff. And I wonder if, if I really haven't heard or don't remember if Dish has been planning on making their own network. But uh, if they haven't been, only seven years wouldn't be that much time to get one set up from the ground up if they don't have uh, Spectrum Holdings already, then basically there's no way they could do it within seven years. But if they do have Spectrum Holdings uh, for a network, it would still be tough to get it going at that uh, in that time frame. 
Yeah, a lot to do. Uh, obviously, it's it's uh, it's one thing to say, well, you've got seven years to do something. It's another thing to say you've got it to do an entire infrastructure, which means tower site acquisitions, among other things, as well as building out all that infrastructure that seems nearly insurmountable. Uh, also, what does access to the network even mean? Is that the current network, so the 4G network, is that any future networks that they build? So, is it going to be 5G networks as well? Uh, what is the uh, you know what is the program? What is it that they're going to be offering? Even if they are at being provided access to uh, unlimited portions of the network, again, is that just certain uh, you know certain uh, technologies that are being used and and whatnot? So, just a, a lot of questions here that are still to be unanswered, but. Um, you know, when you talk about what the DOJ is interested in, when they talk about anti-competitiveness, it all has to do with making it uh, available as a choice for the consumer. And does the consumer have the ability to choose from a fourth option uh, where potentially they they would not have one uh, with this merger if it were to go through? It may not be a good option, but it's still an option. And so I think that's where uh, this is going here. So uh, very interesting. I bet we'll hear something about this in the next two weeks, uh, if not in the coming week here. And of course, we'll talk about that when that comes through. Well, no new devices this week. So on to software we go. The latest beta version of iOS 13, including a new feature in FaceTime called Attention Correction. This new feature subtly alters the image of your face in real time to make it look like you're looking into the camera, even when you're looking down at the screen to see the other person. It only seems to work on the very newest generation of iPhone models, so the 10s, 10s Max, and the 10R, but not the 10 iPhone original 10, uh, indicating that the feature may require the A12 processor, which is, of course, Apple's newest processor chip. Yeah, I read the story about that. It says it's using the the updated new AR kit to do that. And I saw a couple of pictures and it's uh, uh, it's quite stunning, but it is kind of a neat feature, even though it's it, it, it's pointless, but it does kind of give the uh, the feel that the person is looking at you versus uh, staring down at the screen of you uh, of them looking at you uh, on their their FaceTime call, which, of course, for me, you know, maybe normal, you know, uh, you know, normal phone calls with your friends and stuff, it doesn't matter. But if you were doing something like, uh, you know, these days, I don't know if you were, you know, watch TV news, but it seems like they're interviewing people over Skype all the time and FaceTime. Imagine that feature for interviews like that. It would be much, you know, it would actually look better on the screen uh, to have the, the person actually looking right at the camera uh, for that, uh, for those particular things. But of course, you know, they could do things better, like, you know, integrate the camera right into the middle of the screen and have the face of the, the person that you're looking at right next to the camera or closer to it on the, on the, uh, the phone screen as well. But of course, this is a, you know, a fun way to demonstrate their uh, new powerful uh, augmented reality. I was particularly interested in the story. I do a lot of FaceTime calls. Uh, we live across the country from uh, pretty much the entirety of our family. And so that's the way that we stay in touch with people and make sure that everyone can see just how we're doing. And so uh, even just in the last couple hours, I was on a phone call uh, with, with folks across the country and uh, was using it and was thinking about this particular feature, thinking, boy, this would be nice. Uh, as I, I mean, I try when I, especially when I'm on the iPad to look at the camera and uh, I position the, uh, the window, uh, uh, say the, the reflection you know, window that shows what you're looking at 
on uh, the side of the screen with the camera. So at the very least, um, when I'm looking over, I can kind of get a, a sense of where I should be looking just kind of subconsciously. But uh, it, it would be a nice thing to have, if if nothing else, because it would make it feel like the person is talking directly to you because uh, it is very distracting when they're looking out at other things and whatever. So uh, very fascinating and very interesting thing. Um, you know, it does remind me, though, uh, of the image softening process that Apple used uh, a couple of years ago, or maybe it was last year that got them in trouble when portrait mode came out. Uh, but this is a little bit different because this is just real time videos. This is not picture altering that they're doing. Yeah. And I think that was actually an accident that it got over softened. And that was, I think, for the iOS 12 beta, I believe that was. Yeah, so uh, it was uh, kind of an interesting thing, though, because it just reminded me of something like, uh, you know, and, and potentially there's a, a switch to turn this thing off if, if you don't feel comfortable with it. But uh, I'm, I'm imagining most people would appreciate it, especially if they're doing conversations with a lot of people. Uh, and it, it's even more uh, apparent now with the, the better front-facing cameras that we have. The, the image quality is, is quite crisp, and so you can really see the, uh, the people very well. 50-minute call I was on today was over a gig of data. Uh, Wow. Uh, that got transmitted. So uh, definitely a lot of data going with that. Uh, next up, Samsung this week launching Bixby Marketplace. That lets, lets users add third-party capsules to their Bixby Assistant. The Marketplace includes a variety of convenience-enhancing capsule, capsules such as Google Maps, Spotify, iHeartRadio, NPR, and Yelp across categories such as productivity, communication, travel, and transportation, as well as food and drink, local music and audio, shopping, and business and finance. Installed capsules can be summoned by name but to perform certain actions. Users can also customize Bixby with a preferred capsule for certain actions so that get me a ride to the San Francisco airport will use the lips capsule, for example. Uh, the marketplace lets users search for capsules by category, keyword, or developer and includes a curated section of staff picks. Well, questions and comments this week. We've got a couple. First comes from Chris, and Chris says, Hey, guys, uh, first of all, keep up the awesome work. I just got back from Thailand a few weeks ago. T-Mobile's international data was awesome. I uh, thought I'd let you know. They do offer add-ons for 30 days or 15 days. The max is 15 gigs of data for $50 extra, and it worked really well. I also thought I would try Visible this last week, uh, and for me, it's been a terrible experience. Uh, they could never activate my phone. It took customer service two days to contact me, and it ended up having to get a new number and switch back to T-Mobile two days without cell phone service, though, was horrible. Glad Visible has worked for you, Joey. Unfortunately, I did not have the same experience as you. Uh, and uh, finally, thanks. Uh, and what do you guys think of VPN software on the phone Chris, so let's talk about Visible for just a second here. So, uh, Joey, I would love to hear from you about very specifically what phone you used, uh, what service it, that phone was on prior to it being on Visible and what it took for you to get it activated. Yeah, uh, for me, because uh, I ordered their SIM kit, so it came, uh, you know, it came with the little tri-SIM that I, you know, had to you know, pop out the correct nano SIM. Uh, and it was a, a Verizon iPhone 7 and and of course invisible's instructions they had they they said you need to be on the latest iOS software which you know at that time was like 12.1 or 12.2 um and once I did that and inserted the sim yeah the the branding on the phone switched over to visible uh so of course since it being a Verizon phone it was unlocked and of course compatible with the Verizon network um I'm not sure why it what didn't activate for you but I suppose uh getting a number port would add to the complexity for me, I just picked a new number. Uh, I didn't do a port over, so that probably made it a lot simpler. Um, and of course, to get the number started, you have to launch an app on the phone to sign up for service. 
And I discovered, I thought, um, before I had loaded the app, I thought the phone's data was in fact working because loading up Safari browser on the phone and going to apple.com, it actually pops up apple.com, but no other websites were working because, of course, in order to have access to the app store, it needs Ah. to have access to Apple to get the app store to get signed in to then get the, the app downloaded to then get signed up for the service. So... Uh, that's how it worked for me. So, you know, I think the, the there could be a couple of things that happen for you here, Chris, and, and we won't dive into them because it's it's probably not we, we don't we don't know all the details here. But uh, the particular phone is a, my guess is what part of the problem was. Um, and let's just assume that it was unlocked, um, whether or not there was an issue with where you were, the Verizon service there and the bands that were available on Verizon could be an issue, but either way, it's, uh, it's, it's one of those things where it's, uh, you know, any of these services, um, are going to that your mileage may vary kind of thing. And it's going to work for some people. It's not going to work for others. Uh, on your question of uh, VPN software, um, I use VPN, uh, but I also use the built-in VPN uh, application or uh, service on the device to connect up through an IPsec connection to a corporate uh, VPN server. And so I'm not using any specific VPN software uh, that is uh, you know, a third party, if you will. And so I don't have any real experience with anything else other than the built-in VPN service. Right. And of course, uh, so yeah, it's kind of tough when you're talking about VPNing to like work and VPNing for privacy sake, uh, you know, using a, a commercial VPN service to provide a, you know, kind of a, a, a thing where you can either choose which country you're in. Because if you VPN to, uh, you know, Mexico, for example, you can watch uh, Rick and Morty on Netflix. But of course, here in the U.S., they're not there. And of course, every country's uh, selection of streaming stuff is different. And a lot of people like to get around that. Or if you want to watch uh, shows on the BBC player, you can, uh, you know, pick your server in uh, Europe and do that. Um, I think the 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 way these uh, the applications, if you get one from uh, if you download it from the provider, I think it just uses the native VPN client kind of going, uh, you know, backdoor through the iPhone, which is, a you know, Apple's allowed that to happen. So instead of just using the, the, the normal front end client that you see, and that's all I use to Mickey, but that's, I think, how it works, because otherwise it wouldn't have access to the network stack if Apple didn't grant specific access to do that. Um, so it probably isn't any real different as far as um, connectivity or privacy on the phone. But of course, um, it does work. It, it adds some, you know, it adds some latency and slowness to the device, depending on uh, where you're going and what you're doing with it. But um, there's uh, no real problem. And if, if you need privacy for something, um, that's it is really the way to go. And, and I connect up, you know, multiple times a day to VPN, um, whether it's I'm at home and I'm connecting to work or I'm on the go and I'm connecting to work and uh, just so that I can get in for remote desktop purposes. And I know you use it pretty extensively as well. In fact, you, it seems like every screenshot you send me, you're connected to VPN. So I would say you're generally connected to VPN more than you're not connected. I am. I uh, Yes, on my iPad, I'm really connected pretty much all the time to the work network because I'm always doing something. Um, un- uh, unfortunately, it does add some, uh, it adds a little bit of uh, slowness to everything else, but uh, it's not too bad uh, for that. And, and yes, I just use the native client for that uh, connection. 
Yeah, very good. Uh, finally today, a question from Patrick, and he says, Hey, TCPJ, uh, question for you. What happens to iPhones that are no longer supported? Meaning, do they still get security updates? iOS 13 does not support devices like the iPhone 5S. So from a security standpoint, is it still safe to use it for browsing the web or apps like banking? Thanks, Patrick. And no, they do not update. Uh, once they, they stop supporting it, they do not update anymore. And we have not seen any updates for any devices that have been out of support now for a while. So essentially, uh, it's up to you or your apps, uh, which will be supported for a little bit longer, but not a lot longer uh, to be updated and secure. So, uh, you know, like your banking apps, uh, you know, they'll they'll stop supporting uh, iOS, you know, 12 or something like that uh, for, for, for a few years, but not much longer after that. And, and typically, you know, Mac and even iOS devices aren't really susceptible to that many security issues because of the way they're designed. Um, but it, 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 of course, as time goes on, there's more and more exploits that have been, uh, explored and exploited and you could be at more of a risk as time goes on. And, and again, that's kind of the, um, the, the kind of the point to take away from that is there are not many now, but that does not mean there won't be more in the future. And so just you're, you're taking a risk when you, uh, when exploits do come out, patches do get issued, updates come out and you're not receiving them. You're basically for every one that comes out, you're exponentially having a, a device that's less and less secure uh, than it was before that. And, you know, when you're talking about device applications, that is that are getting updated and, and uh, not seeing the support for them, it just starts to get pretty stale. And so I would say, you know, give it a year or so. And, and then you're probably wanting to move on from that device. And I'm still using a, an iPad that might be on, I don't know, it's the original, it's an iPad third generation, so it might be on iOS 10 or maybe 9. I I, get, I never realize it because it, it look, the home screen looks relatively the same and I use it for like two different apps and that's it. And then I, re, I try and do something like swipe down from the top to open up the, the control center and that doesn't work. And so I got to figure, you know, go back to the bottom. I did that earlier today and it was, it reminded me just how clunky and, and old that felt not having that. But um, it, it's a, uh, it's something that you're just, you have to, you have to make a decision for yourself and what is it that you're doing on it? And there might be certain things like banking that you might not want to do on there and other applications where you might say, yeah, I'm, I'm okay with a little bit of more risk in, do, in using this device. Right. And if you're going to, uh, you know, trusted websites for on browsing the web, then yeah, don't worry about it. Um, uh, and if you're using the banking app, I really wouldn't worry about it too much at that point either. Uh, as long as you're using, you know, trusted applications and, uh, you know, trusted websites, then it's not too bad. Uh, but still, like you said, you know, Wi-Fi exploits and things can happen over time. Um, so it's not bad. Right. But it's still something you are making a conscious decision to use. And uh, there's obviously Apple not or, or other companies, if you happen to use another device that's got out of date software that are not, you know, taking the precautions and getting those updates because they're not supporting it anymore. You're making you're taking that risk on yourself. Well, that's it for us today. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can send us email uh, or voicemails that you record on your device to questions at the cell phone junkie dot com or if you'd prefer to leave us a voicemail via phone give us a call 650-999-0524 and we'll get whatever you have to say on a future show joey thank you very much as always for your time we'll talk to you later thanks for listening for more information about the stories you've just heard visit us at the cell phone junkie.com 